It's Daily Thunder, the truth of Jesus Christ dished out live every morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado with a bit of manly grit and gusto. Find out more at live.ellerslie.com. Now here's Eric Lutie. Well, guys, uh, I want to say I think this is the 11th installment in our muscular Christian series, isn't it? We've had some good muscular stuff dished out uh, in the past few weeks. Uh, This one is called Audacity. I love that word, Audacity. And I have a little subtitle for us, which is really good, Adding a Bit of Heavenly Ridiculousness to Your Christianity. There is something about audacity. It's like an ingredient uh, that many of us have a tendency to leave out of our Christianity because it really is utterly ridiculous. And yet when you study scripture, you're going to recognize that this is an ingredient that is in every great man and woman of faith throughout history, is they are audacious. And so if we're going to build this muscular Christian uh, rendition of Christianity in our modern day, we need to understand audacity. I mean, it's just critical. And it's funny because, you know, as I sort of unpack audacity, at first you're going to think, you know, where is that in scripture? And then as I begin to explore it, you're going to be realize it's everywhere. Every great man and woman of faith actually was very audacious. And audacity isn't necessarily what matches what your mom is going to train you for. Okay, A mom is going to train you to be very wise and watchful and circumspect, and that's all good. Okay, For instance, hey, hey, hey don't hang from the tree limb. It could break. Okay, That type of a thing. Uh, and... You know, don't play uh, with a dog when he has food in his mouth. Okay, Th- those are wise statements. And what you're going to see in Scripture is every mom point of wisdom is violated. Where, uh, you know, one of the classic examples is Joshobium. And Joshobium, the Tachmanite, is one of David's mighty men. In fact, he's one of my favorites of David's mighty men. Uh, you know, there's some uh, Philistines out there. 850 to be exact. No, I think it's 800. 800 to be exact. And, uh, you know, his mom says, uh, Joshua, baby, uh, I want you to be wise today. I want you to make some good decisions, okay? If you're going to fight, make sure the numbers are good, okay? I know that David is getting you, you know, all riled up and you're fighting bad guys all day long. But make sure that the numbers are good, okay? Maybe you against one other Philistine, okay? Now, that's wise, there's 800 out there. Joshobium goes against them single-handedly. Okay, now there isn't a mom on earth that is going to feel comfortable with that. And yet, it's audacious. And for all of us, our instinct is to draw back from such notions and from, from such statistical odds. And yet, what you're going to notice is in Scripture, you're going to see that God smiles when his men and his women step forward and say, I like these odds, because they're impossible. You see, when you enter into the impossible territory, it's like God's light goes green. He's on. When you are in the possible territory, well, you could do that in your own strength. But when you step across that line into what we would call the audacious territory, suddenly the light goes green and God turns on. In other words, this is a whole new level of need. Just like Jesus looking at his disciples and saying, feed them. And they're like, uh, first of all, we don't have any food, and there's 5,000 of them. Okay, and that's technically just counting the men, right? There's 5,000 of them. We don't even have food. How are we supposed to feed them? Green light. Boo. This is the impossible territory. Jesus loves it. He says, let's feed them. 
Let's feed. How do you feed them? That's impossible. You see, this is God's territory. And it's a territory that we instinctively draw back from. I don't, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go into the impossible territory. I want to stay where it's reasonable. And yet, what you're going to see is in this scriptural pattern, God is drawing us across that line into territory that is totally ridiculous. I mean, for all practical purposes, using human wisdom and reason, you would never go there. And yet God leads us there. And that's, that's why it's important. If you, you want to be a muscular Christian, you need to have this stuff. It's an ingredient in the mix. So I have a uh, definition for audacity. And just in case you're having a tough time pronouncing it, I have a pronunciation guide on the screen. Okay? That, that's, that's for all of you, especially those of you that aren't from America. This can really help you here. Okay? Audacity. Here's my definition. This is a very Eric Ludy-esque definition. It's accurate, but it has a little Eric Ludy woven into it. Absolute, ridiculous trust that when you step out and do crazy things for the glory of the Almighty King, God will come through for you. For instance, when you stand up against 12-foot-tall giants without any armor on your skinny little vulnerable body, and you walk out in the field of battle without a sword to fight him with, God helps you make an absolute fool of the growling, mocking man-beast warrior. See, that's audacity. Who in the right mind would ever do that? Who goes into hand-to-hand combat with the great warrior of his generation? He's a little kid. He's a shrimp. He might be one-fourth the size of this creature. And yet, he's given armor, and he puts it off. He says, I don't want that. He doesn't have a sword in hand. This is hand-to-hand combat. What does he have? He doesn't have anything for hand-to-hand combat. He has a sling. A shepherd's sling? You've got to be kidding. Even Goliath himself is mocking him. This is a joke. What, what, what am I, a dog that you come at me with sticks? You see, what David does in that situation is he sets a pattern for the kingdom of heaven. You have to realize that's a Christophany too. Who in their right mind is going to tackle all the powers of earth and hell? Naked, bloodied like a, you know, a pile of pulp. He has no, no strength. He's pinned to two pieces of wood and he attacks the enemy. It is like so bizarre and backwards. That is not an attack position. And yet, Jesus steps into impossible territory and takes down the kingdom of darkness. You see, this is the pattern. You come without sword, without shield, without armor, but in the faith of the living God. Watch what God will do. So back in 2008, I wrote a blog entry, uh, and I named what I called the top 10 most audacious moments in the Bible. I have to admit, since then, I've come across some that probably should be on the list, okay? So that's what's hard, is whenever you put something down on paper, it has a tendency to be argued even by yourself uh, in the years to come. But it's still a good list, okay? And I have it sort of like 10, 9, 8, 7, so we count down to the top one. And I wish I could... You know, and I could have. I could have just moved them around. You guys wouldn't even know. But I just want you to know that this has been a big deal in my life for years. Okay? This is a significant theme. All these muscular Christian things are the things that God has been cultivating in me for well over a decade. And I would say probably at least two decades, maybe even more than that, this has been the focal point of my spiritual development, is becoming a manly man of God. Did you notice I put an adverb in front of man of God? A manly man of God. There's a lot of men of God out there, but I really desire to be a manly man of God, one that truly exhibits strength. And yet my natural package is I have a tendency 
to not gravitate towards the more rugged. Like I didn't grow up hunting, I didn't grow up fishing, and I didn't grow up with a desire to go into the military. Okay, I didn't, uh, I, was, I was an athlete, but I didn't necessarily uh, like, you know, like tackling, like in football and things like that, or like combat sports. Uh, you know, I was a soccer player, and I would gravitate towards basketball and things like that. So there's certain things that when you get close to them in the kingdom of heaven, which is like the grappling, the wrestling, it's like I have a tendency even naturally to draw back. I'm not a risk taker in the classic sense, like jumping out of an airplane and saying, hey, let's have fun, let's parachute today, or bungee jump down a canyon. I, I'm not at all attracted to that, and yet I take more risk than most people on earth. But the risk I take is spiritual. And so, in other words, what I desire to press forward is a, a true pattern of manliness, but not necessarily just the earth's pattern. It's like, God, show me what this is. If you need me to hunt and fish more, I will. What is it that makes a godly man manly? Whatever that is, I'm interested. And so it's a tension in my soul because there's certain things I'm not necessarily attracted to. I'm more of the suburban born man. And that's, you know, it's not very impressive. And I, I, I even look at it as like, oh, and so my instinct naturally is not towards gritty and growling and, you know, covered with dirt and blood. It's like, yeah. Uh, that, is, that isn't the form of manliness that I grew up around, and as a result, it's sort of foreign to me, but I'm attracted to the spiritual version. I'm attracted to what we're talking about in the Muscular Christian series. Let's go through the top 10 most audacious moments in the Bible. So audacious moment number 10. Did you guys ever do Mountain of Giants? Uh, this, okay, so you guys will appreciate this. Caleb at 80 years of age claiming Hebron, the mountain of the giants, as his inheritance in the land of promise. Not only did he want it, you had to realize that is just, that's so audacious. I want that mountain. You do know that that's the mountain of the giants, right? Uh, that's where the Anakin live. Uh, I mean, you, <laughs> you, you want that? Not only did he want it, which is audacious enough, but he personally led the battle formation that climbed the mountain and destroyed the giant men that lived there. Okay, that's just the beginning of our list here. I mean, this is extraordinary audacity. Are you kidding me? Everyone else is afraid of the Anakin, and you're like going straight in there to take him down? Audacious moment number nine. Samson picking a fight with a thousand Philistines and using a donkey's jawbone to destroy every last one of them. Yeah, I don't know that there's too many mothers that would feel comfortable with little Sammy going out there and doing that. <laughs> Audacious moment number eight. Joab climbing up the gutter of Jebus ahead of all the troops of David and being the first to jump in amongst a throng of enemy soldiers and strike the mocking Jebusites on the cheek. That's brash. So here's, here's the story. I don't know if you guys, if, well, I mean, you probably read it, but whether or not it ever stood out to you. David is staring at a, a stronghold called Jebus. And it's the stronghold of the Jebusites. It's called the Castle of Zion. Jerusalem. Okay, this is what he longs for. He longs for that territory. So He's now king over all of Israel, and what does he want? He wants his capital. And so he looks longingly at Jebus. He has his mighty men around him, and he stares over at him, and they were mocking him. It's like, oh, who do you think you are? You think you can actually take us down? They're mocking him over the walls. So he says to his men, the first one to strike the cheek of the Jebusites will be first among my men. So before he's even done talking, Joab, this is at least my imagination, okay? I'm adding a little looty luster to it. 
Joab is already running up the gutter. And this is what's so amazing. You've got a whole city that is awaiting them, their arrival. And he is ahead of the pack, jumps in. This is the way I picture it, coming out of a hole into the city. And they're all like, oh. And he comes up to one of them and goes, and he knocks the smile off his face. All it says in scriptures, and Joab was first among his men. That's like all it says. I mean, come in, the Bible is the master of understatements. I want to know the story there. Audacious moment number seven. Elisha, when told by the mighty prophet Elijah to ask for anything and it shall be done, Elisha asks for a double portion of the power and anointing of Elijah. Have you guys gone through that story this semester at all? No? No. Okay, well, we'll hit it at the end of this. It's a, it's a great story. Audacious moment number six. David, while still a youngster, running after a lion while it has food in its mouth, grabbing its mane, breaking its jaw, and gaining back his lamb. Who in their right mind would ever do such a thing? You see, everything about David, I mean, I love David. Our, our message this morning in, our, in the semester training, the classic training, is going to be called Five Smooth Stones, and it's about David. And oh, so this is going to be a fun day. We get a whole bunch of David uh, today, but this is audacity. There isn't a mom. If, if, you know, could you imagine uh, you know, David's mom is packing him a lunch to go out and be the shepherd that day? It's like, Davy, dear. Okay, I want you to watch out. There's wild beasts out there. If anyone ever takes one of your sheep, just let them have it. Okay, a mom is going to say, let them go. But David is a shepherd. And a shepherd does not want to, and is not willing to lose one sheep. And this is a pattern of Jesus Christ. He is unwilling to lose even one. And now you have to realize he was also anointed with a ram's horn of oil. And so this is a shepherd with a strut. This is a shepherd with a swagger. He knows that he is untouchable and he has a commission in his life. And so as a result, when he's doing these things, he's doing them with gusto. Audacious moment number five. Benaiah jumping into a pit with a lion on a snowy day and killing the wild beast. Okay, now when you walk by a pit, okay, maybe it's been set up to catch wild beasts, okay? That could be the very, very reason. But if a wild beast is in there, here, I'm going to give you some advice, okay? This is some good motherly advice to all of you. Take arrows or spears and throw them down into the pit to kill the beast, okay? Uh, or just starve it to death. Do something other than jump in on a snowy day, okay? I mean, there's all sorts of bad things here. If it's a snowy day, you could easily slip, lion eats you, okay? And so, but you don't go down into the pit, do you? Again, this is a Christophany, like all these things. Jesus came down into the territory of the beast and wrangled with him and defeated him. These are all Christophanies. Everything that the Bible's gonna bring out is showing something. It's audacity that God showed. It's like, God, you could just throw some spears from heaven and just knock them out. Instead, he jumps down into the pit on a snowy day. <laughs> what is he doing? Don't do that. I love Benaiah, by the way. His name means built by God. Is that one of the coolest names you've ever heard in your life? I mean, that's, I, I, I want the name, even though I'm already Eric. I'm not going to just suddenly, it's like next semester, I'm like, Benaiah Ludi. <laughs> that would be weird. Audacious moment number four. David and Abishai sneaking into the camp of Saul at night while he's surrounded by his mightiest warriors and brashly stealing his spear and water crews. I, I mean, I don't think most of us actually, when we read these stories, recognize how stupid that is. Okay, we just sort of read it as just part of the narrative. Let's just keep going. And yet what's happening here is 
Saul is hunting David. The best thing for David to do is get far and away. If you know Saul's here, then go somewhere else. Instead, what does he do? He's like, who wants to go with me? And Abishai is the classic sucker for these types of situations. If you study Abishai, just strict, strictly Abishai in Scripture, the guy is headstrong, he's violent, he wants to kill people, and he wants to do crazy things, okay? He is. Whatever personality, if we're ever going to you know, put him into a movie someday, you, you have to study him well because he is a funny character. So he asks his men, and Abishai's like, I'll go, I'll go. It's like, buddy, you might want to think this through. He doesn't think anything through. He's just ready to go. And so Abishai and David are sneaking into Saul's camp. Why? Because they can. (laughs) And it says that God puts a deep sleep upon Saul and his troops. But these are Saul's hand-picked, choicest soldiers, the most dangerous men in Israel. And what are they trying to do? Kill David. And David sneaks in to their camp and steals his spear and water cruise. What, what are you doing? You see, we have to admit, there, there's a smile that creases our face. We like it. We like it. You see, this is God's sense of humor right here. What we see David doing, who's a man after God's heart, is he's showcasing something. It's like, you're untouchable. You see, truly someone who is carrying out the, the errands of God Almighty is an untouchable. Audacious moment number three. David going into hand-to-hand combat with Goliath, the greatest warrior of his generation, without armor and without a sword. And he doesn't enter the fray with a sheepish anxiety. He sprints with ferocity at this man-beast and kills him in a matter of seconds. Most of us, I don't think, truly realize how amazing this scene was. It was the epitome of audacity. The word in the Hebrew says that David mahard. Mahar. Did I give you guys this somewhere along the line? This is what it means. This is what it translates. So David is not sheepishly trembling, going, God, what did you get me into? It says that what he did was he mahard. What is that? He sprinted. He moved like a lion towards his prey with liquid ferocity. You've got to be kidding. Don't you see how big he is? He's running straight for him. If he misses... Where is he? He's right in his gut. I mean, could you imagine Goliath's like, ha, 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 ha. In other words, he's not in a good situation, but he doesn't miss. And that's part of what the message is today, five smooth stones. Why do you pick up five stones? Okay, that's, that's all part of the, the beauty of the story. Audacious moment number two. Jesus deliberately choosing to stay away from Bethany until Lazarus had not only died, but had been rotting in the tomb for four days. It's then he shows up and has the guts to say, roll away the stone, Lazarus, come forth. You see, there's ways that this could be handled that are a lot less uh, extreme. And yet there's sometimes in our life the need for God to demonstrate his power at a greater level. This is where audacity comes in. And audacious moment number one, of course, the winner of all universal audacious moments God, in open mockery of the power of darkness, sends forth his son into hostile enemy territory as a helpless little baby. God defeats sin, death, and Satan while gagged, bound, stripped naked, and nailed to two pieces of wood. The entirety of the gospel is the audacity of God to actually die a criminal's death and openly mock the powers of this world as a helpless little lamb of sacrifice. It's truly amazing. It's sort of hard. This is from my blog entry uh, way back in 2008. little clip from it. It's sort of hard to, not, to only pick 10 because there are so many juicy stories of audacity packed into the pages and stories of Scripture. 
For instance, I'm not even including Joshobium fighting off 800 Philistines all by his lonesome. Elijah picking a fight with 400 prophets of Baal on Mount Carmel. The three mighties breaking through the Philistine garrison in Bethlehem to get King David a drink of water from the well. King Josiah romping through the land of Israel, turning to dust anything and everything that was an abomination to his God. Peter commanding a man who has withered legs to stand up and start walking. Could you imagine doing that? I don't know how many of you have the guts to come up to someone who's been, who's been crippled their entire life and say, rise up and walk. You command? You're going to command a crippled man to rise up and walk. You, you follow me? We just are used to the story. We don't recognize how audacious that is. First of all, I mean, if I said, do you believe God can heal a crippled man? You'd say yes. i said, well, go prove it. <laughs> I mean, and even if you did, it's like, do you, do you mind if I pray for you? Do you mind if I pray for you? And they're like, well, I don't know. And so then you pray, and you're like, God, if you would like to heal this guy, just please do it. You're not going to, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. Rise up and walk. You do know you're talking to a cripple who has never walked in his life. He doesn't even know how to walk. Rise up and walk. Okay, all right. That didn't even make the list. Or Paul, after being smashed to death with stones, rising back to life and heading right back into the city that just stoned him. The stories are simply amazing. So welcome to Christianity, guys. This is what we've been grafted into. The version of Christianity that we have seen modeled for us is anything but audacious. And as a result, we've oftentimes lost the legendary history. What we are meant to live like. We are meant to live like superheroes. If you want to say it that way, we are. Now, it's not us that are the supers. It is God who is in us. I remember this one time. I, I was, it's probably the same time period, okay? I mean, I was, I got it. I, I was getting this concept, and I was feeling, I, I always call it the swagger of the freshly anointed, where it's just like, yeah, the God of the universe lives inside of me. I'm not going to fear anything. And so I remember I had uh, someone from our church that was really in bad straits physically, and they were in the emergency room. And so I was driving up there. I parked in the parking lot, and I, and I was thinking, yeah, the devil knows who just arrived. The devil knows who just arrived, someone who believes. And I had background movie score music playing, and I was walking to it. It's like the, all hell is like, oh, no, he's coming. That's right. A man who is walking in the power and the authority of Almighty God is on his way in. You should borrow a little of that. It's, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. It's not me. It's God Almighty who has chosen to live inside of us as the church. The devil is terrified of Jesus Christ. If we're willing to tote him around, then we are the great thing, the one thing that all hell trembles before. Praying impossible prayers. So one of the things that uh, our family, that's what we, we refer to it as praying impossible prayers. In other words, don't just pray things that you, you know can be done. Uh, like, God, help me finish this day and get my homework done. Okay, now I'm not saying it's a bad prayer, but you could do that in your own strength. Does that make sense? To, to aim higher. If, and I've had these moments many times in my life. Uh, and I, you know, I could probably count maybe five to ten where I'm, I'm usually driving when it happens, and I'm praying, I'm talking to God, and I'm by myself, and I feel like God gives me one of these moments of ask. Ask anything, Eric. And I'm, I'm going back, flashback to Solomon when he was given the opportunity to ask for anything. 
And I'm thinking, okay, he asked for wisdom, so that's probably the right thing to ask for, right? But I, I seriously consider it. And I go, okay, God, all right? If I had one request, what would it be? And I, I'll think it through. And it's, it's funny, but almost every time I'm going to come back with, I want the mind of Christ. I want wisdom. That is actually a very good request. And so I have come to that many times. But what I want more than anything, it's interesting, because when you cut out all the noise of self's ambitions, self's desires, and you just sort of allow that to flitter away. Okay, okay, that's gone, that's gone. What do, what do, what do I really desire? I desire for God to be known through my life. I desire to know him and make him known more than anything else. And I don't care what it costs me, what it takes, I want him. I want the fullness of Jesus Christ. So whatever you call that, I want you, Lord Jesus, no matter what it means to my life. So when you really bake it down, that's that's what we're after as Christians. And so a lot of times when when the initial thought comes up, like ask for something, we're, we're thinking, okay, that I'd be rich, that I'd be famous. However, as a Christian, we work so much deeper than that. And so when we get down to it, it's like, what are we here for? Okay, so say we are here to bring glory to God. All right, say that is our desire, and you know that he's going to answer that prayer. If you ask for that, you know he's going to answer it. It's in perfect stride with everything that he promises. So then start working out of that. Okay, if that's what you desire in me, that's what you desire in the body of Christ. But that's what you desire throughout the world. So start praying boldly out of that. That is the root through which we spring forth into the most audacious praying. So the story, as the story goes, because I'm guessing you guys haven't heard it this semester, even though I originally had it in my notes, I took it out because I assumed Nathan had covered it. Because in the past, I've put it in and everyone's like nodding like, yeah, Nathan's covered this already. It's a great story, okay? So you have Elijah who has an understudy named Elisha. And uh, everyone knows that Elijah is going to be taken. Okay, how all the, all the prophets know, uh, and Elisha knows, and of course Elijah knows, but they don't know when. And so every day they're sort of following around, it's like, is this the day? And, and Elisha is sort of stressed out over all this because he's going to lose his master, and he doesn't know if he's ready for this. I mean, this is a pretty intimidating thing because Elijah is quite the guy to follow. Right? He's like this sample, uh, if we were to look at the, when we think law and prophets, when we think prophets, we think Elijah. He's like the chief among them. And so it comes to the day when it's going to happen, and Elijah's going to go away, whatever that means, right? No one really understands what this means, he's going to go away. This isn't normal in the history of men and nations. And so they cross the Jordan into the, what we would understand as the wilderness area, the desert area, and... Elijah looks over at Elisha and says, ask. Ask whatever you will. Ask me for something. I mean, it's like literally the same moment that I'm, I'm describing to you. Ask. What are you going to ask for? The prophet Elijah is looking at you and he says, ask. Ah, what are you going to ask for? You know, some of you that are low on cash right now, you might think, okay, God, can I have enough money to get home uh, this week? That would really be important. Okay, and you're just like, waste you're blowing an ask okay you have the opportunity to ask for anything what are you going to ask for most of us aim into the dirt i mean we don't have a vision for god you know answering big prayers let alone the fact that he'll go exceedingly abundantly be above all that we ask or think okay so i mean we're aiming way too low 
And I, I have to admit, what Elisha asks for is beyond what I would ever think of asking. I and mean, this is a really good ask. He says, I want a double portion of what you have. He wants double what Elijah has. Now, are you with me when you, when I, when you just look at what Elijah says? Uh, gulp, you have asked a hard thing. And here's what Elijah says. When I am taken up, if you see me taken up, you will know that you have received what you asked for. And so one of the most critical lines in the, in the Bible is when it says, and Elisha saw it. I mean, it doesn't say anything more than that. Elisha saw it. Now, he, it does say more as far as what's happening. Elijah's taken up in a chariot of fire into the heavenlies in a whirlwind. It's like, okay, that just happened. And his mantle, which is a symbol of authority, I, I always picture it like this, flutters to the ground. And Elisha picks it up. And with that very mantle, strikes the Jordan River. Says, where is the Lord God of Elijah? And it parts. This is how he begins his ministry. And by the way, if you count up Elisha's miracles, this is really weird. Mathematically, it's just extraordinary. It's exactly double Elijah's miracles minus one when he dies. And that's sort of offensive to all of us mathematicians. We're like, excuse me, God. But that doesn't work mathematically. So Elijah's, you know, or Elisha is now dead. He's been buried for quite some time in a sepulcher, is what they called it. And uh, so these guys are running around and they have a dead body. Uh, and they don't know where to put it, so they throw it in this sepulcher. It just happens to be Elisha's sepulcher. And the guy pops back to life. <laughs> and God's like, double. <laughs> that, is, that is amazing. But what I want to focus on here is the fact that Elisha says you asked a hard thing. And here's what I want you to think of. When we look at that line, it sounds negative. But I want you to look at it as the ultimate positive thing, that I want God saying that to you. I want God looking back at you and saying, huh, that's good. You just asked a hard thing. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for people that will ask hard things. These are impossible prayers. It's in the dimension where the green light goes, boo, and it's God territory. That's what you want to be praying for. You want to see God move in a mighty way in this generation. So, Elisha, so that's the passing of Elijah, okay? He never really died, which is a very interesting story in regards to him. So when he returns on the Mount of Transfiguration, it's like weird. So you have Moses, whose body was never found, and you have Elijah, who was taken up in a whirlwind in a chariot of fire, and they're both showing up on the Mount of Transfiguration. It's like, okay, that's odd. But, okay, uh, these things happen. Uh, we don't understand how all these things work. We just know what it says in Scripture. So Elijah parts ways. Now we have the season of Elisha, which is extraordinary. I mean, the stories of Elisha are just amazing. And now Elisha is passing away. And King Joash is an, a king of Israel. Now, remember, there, were never, there was never a good king in Israel. Uh, you, have, uh, you have Jehu is actually a good king for the very beginning. I don't, it wasn't very long, but he actually started out really good and then faded in the sunset. So all of them end up being categorized as bad kings. And so you need to know that this guy does turn out to be a bad king. His name is Joash. But he has some good instincts. You have to admit, you have to commend the guy for being attracted to Elisha and saying he wants the power from Elisha. So one of the things that Elisha 
uh, or Elijah said, uh, and my, it was my father, my father, the horses, no, I think this was uh, horses of Israel and the chariots thereof. It's a quote that comes from this parting of Elijah, okay? And so what you're going to see is that same quote is only used one other time in the Bible, and you're going to see it here. Almost like King Joash is like trying to initiate whatever happened when that double portion came to Elisha. He wants it. Before Elisha dies, he wants this power. Elisha had become sick with the illness of which he would die. Then Joash, the king of Israel, came down to him and wept over his face and said, Oh, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and their horsemen. So this is the exact quote that was given at the parting of Elijah by Elisha. And so as a result, you see this. Joash sort of coming in. It's like, is this the right words, the magic words here? I'm going to say these words. And Elisha said to him, take a bow and some arrows. So he took himself a bow and some arrows. Then he said to the king, put your hand on the bow. So he put his hand on it. And Elisha put his hand on the king's hand, and he said, open the east window. And he opened it. Then Elisha said, shoot, and he shot. And he said, the arrow of the Lord's deliverance and the arrow of deliverance from Syria, for you must strike the Syrians at Aphek till you have destroyed them. Then he said, take the arrows. So he took them. And he said to the king of Israel, strike the ground. So he struck three times. So just to give you a little background here, Joash wants something. He's coming to Elisha knowing he needs something. And Elisha, if you could say it this way, is, says, take up an arrow. All right, now strike the ground. If we could parallel this in our life, God's, we're coming to God and he says, all right, Take prayer. You got it? Yes. Strike the ground. Okay, pull on the rope. Whatever metaphor we want to use. Strike the ground is what's said here. And it says that he struck it three times. Now, to be honest, I'm actually fairly impressed with that because I'm concerned that I might just strike it once. If, if someone told me to strike the ground with an arrow, I'd probably go, whoop. All right, what next? He strikes it three times. <coughs> and stopped. And the man of God was angry with him and said, you should have struck five or six times. So then you would have struck Syria till you had destroyed it, but now you will strike th Syria only three times. Then Elisha died and they buried him. <laughs> Obviously, God wants us to hear this. In other words, this is something that you see the cameras of, the, you know, of Scripture literally zooming in and saying, okay, you got the microphone in place? All right, listen in. Something's taking place here. Now, what I'm going to liken it to is I'm going to parallel it. This is all about audacity, remember? And if you were told by the mighty prophet to strike the ground with arrows, and after hearing this story, remember, this is useful for training you in righteousness. This is useful to you guys. What's it for? What is the lesson that we're getting out of Joash? That is that God has given us a tool, a weapon. And to wield that weapon, we need to be audacious. See, what does it look like if Joash is saying, okay, you want me to strike the ground? I'll strike the ground. Boom, 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 boom. And he just keeps going. And what would Elisha have to do? He'd reach out and grab his arm and say, enough. You see, until God has said, enough, you keep striking. You see, our audacity oftentimes is dimmed by our concern. It's like our etiquette. 
We don't want to presume upon God when in actuality the entirety of Scripture is saying, would someone please just start striking the ground? Strike the ground. Come on, someone. Is that all you're going to do? Three? It actually says the man of God was angry with him. It's such a funny statement. It's like, well, he did strike the ground. However, the prophet is desiring him to succeed. He's like, there's so much more that could be gained. But now you won't actually destroy Syria. You'll only strike him three times. But if you had kept going, what grand achievement, what grand accomplishments God could have worked in and through this land. Oh, but you only struck three times. You only asked that big? Is that what you're going to do? God has given you the arrows. He says, strike. Pray. Come on, people. The God of the universe is saying to do it. He's saying, look, this is how I work in the lives of men and nations. But I need a people who will be audacious, who will be brash to come before my throne of grace and begin to bring impossible prayers. I want a double portion. And God says, yeah, you've asked a hard thing. Way to go. So take the arrows and strike the ground. When you do your praying, don't do it weakly. In other words, for anyone that's hearing that on the podcast, that means weak like lacking strength, not like praying every week or something like that. (laughs) When you do your praying, don't do it weakly. In other words, lacking strength. Don't take those arrows of God's word and strike them in prayer with hesitation and bashfulness, but strike them to the ground decidedly and strike them until the burden to strike them is relieved and the spirit of prayer says, that is enough, dear believer. That is enough. Has God ever had to put his hand on your wrist and say, that is enough? That's what you're looking for. You want God to define when you have prayed through, when you have prayed enough, instead of your instinct to say, well, you know what, I, I don't want to presume upon God. I mean, I asked last week for this, and he doesn't seem like he's doing anything about it. In other words, to be persistent in what you know God is desiring to do, to the degree that you know, pray. If you know that God wants you to strike the ground, then strike it over and over and over again and cut until God says, yeah, okay, whoa, 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 whoa. Well done. That's good, okay, but that's enough. It's better to have God stopping you than him getting mad because you didn't do it. Let us strike the ground. Father, I pray that you would build us into muscular Christians. Lord, that we would be ready for the most difficult challenges that life could bring our way, that we'd be ready to greet them with a laugh, with a smile, with a song, with a whistle, with a skip in our step, that we would rejoice always, that we would pray without ceasing, and that we would give thanks in all things. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning us. Lord, I pray that you would build our soul muscle that we would be willing to allow your Holy Spirit to exercise us and to develop us. But Lord, I desire that this troop of students, not just the ones present, but those that are listening online, those that are hearing this podcast or streamed, 
Lord, that there would be a mighty resurgence of strength in the body of Christ today. Lord, we crave your strength. Show us how to pray Elisha-like prayers, the double portion sorts of prayers. Teach us how to live like Joshobium, like Caleb, like David, like Jesus. Lord, we want to have that disposition. We love you and trust you. It's in the precious name we pray. Amen. Daily Thunder is a production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training and the Bravehearted Media Group. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and see it once again gain the stride of the Spirit emboldened and brave. The Daily Thunder video stream can be watched live daily at 8.15 a.m. Mountain Time, Monday through Saturday, and 7.15 a.m. on Sunday mornings. Join us at live.ellerslie.com. Please consider booking a stopover at the lovely Ellerslie campus at the foot of the majestic Rocky Mountains for one day, one week, one semester, or for an entire season. We hope to see you someday soon live and in person. Thanks for listening.